Canucks Central on a Tuesday. It's actually Tuesday. If you don't know what I mean by that, listen back to yesterday's show. We had Patrick Alvin on then, and we are still in the wake of trade deadline. It is Dan Riccio, Satyar Shah on a maintenance day. Israel Fair is here to join the program. We are presented by your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Lots to get into. David Pinota is going to join us coming up later this hour. And then uh, we'll start to really dive into the upcoming road trip for the Canucks as they try to climb back up the ladder after getting knocked down a few pegs with the disappointing end to the road trip. Izzy, what's happening? Good to be here, Reach. Uh, yep. Yeah, lots to dig into. Uh, trade deadline yesterday was You fully recovered active. from deadline? No. What's uh, what's deadline day like for uh, an editor at The Athletic? It's long. Yeah. Up early, uh, sitting around. Do the most words of the start day. to like get squirrely at the end of the day? Where you're uh, just like... A little bit. Yeah, the last story comes in, and it's like, wait, this guy got traded for a conditional what now? <laughs> but look, it's better to have a lot of trades than none. Yes. I'll tell you that. For guys doing this, yep. for the guys and gals on TV, and for the people writing about it, we, we'd oh, much man. rather have some trades to discuss. You know, uh, I. it's funny, though, because we make the big deal of the one day, the final day of the trade deadline. But, I mean, I think recent years have taught us that it's the, uh, the, the few days in the lead up to actual trade deadline day that end up being the most active, you know. I mean, Saturday and Sunday were incredible for the content. That's when Drew went and Giordano and all these other guys. Of course, that's when the Canucks did their big moves with Travis Dermott. And Travis Hamannick trading the two Travises. Is that is that would would that be the plural of Travis? Travis is Travi. Would it be, would it be Travi? <laughs> Mike Wilner would be proud of this conversation. Anyways, <laughs> this is Canuck Central. Um, so, how are you feeling about what the Canucks were able to do? Um, some final thoughts. 24 hours later on how the Canucks stand right now. They trade Tyler Mott for a fourth-round pick, bring in Brad Richardson off of waivers, acquire Travis Dermott, and uh, send out $3 million of cap space in uh, Travis Mm -hmm. Hamannick for next year. Look, I I think you have to look at it in two ways. One, what they actually did, which is, as you just listed, all those moves reach, Um, sending out a number of players – clearing up some of that cap space, bringing in, in Dermot anyway, a player that's going to get an opportunity over the last 20 or so games of the season to show what he never showed in Toronto was that that he was going to be a, a legit part of the blue line um, for that group. And he's going to get a chance to do it with the Canucks, but I'm not going to set the bar too high. I don't know, man. Like the amount of... Uh... Leafs analytic folk that have thought <laughs> Travis Dermott was going to be a really good defenseman for a lot of years in Toronto. I mean, there's there's been a lot of words written on uh, on Travis Dermott over the last few years. A lot, man. That he's not just going to be an NHLer, but was going to be a top four kind of guy. Yeah. And I look at that and I think uh, that's probably has a little bit more to do with uh, the desperation, uh, and look, Canucks fans are, are no, <laughs> they're yep. no strangers to desperation on the blue line. Not easy to find D-men. Uh, we were talking ourselves into Derek Pouliot for about two months. Yeah. 
three seasons ago, right? We, mm-hmm. We've been there here. So, look, he, he's young. He said all the right things. I was talking myself kind of into Tucker Pullman over the summer. So. <laughs> I don't. I never went that far. No? Okay. <laughs> I, just, I just ate that one yeah, immediately. Okay. All right. Four years? Eh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look. I could still t- try and talk myself into Tucker Pullman. It's a, just, just a little bit harder. Look, I'm, I would sit here and I yeah. I still go the the Tyler Myers conversation. That yeah. was one where I go, contract's not great, but here are all the things that this player can yeah. do and all of that. But still, still raises your bar. Yeah, it's uh, look, he's going to get a chance at mm-hmm. least, at the very least. And I thought the reaction to it, though, from the fans and especially the, the Patrick Alvin. Uh, media availability was fascinating because they more or less did everything that they had said they were going to do. And I don't know where it comes in to the the fans' psyche, the fans' mindset that they were going to do one of the the major moves, uh, a Miller, which that was the early one, really quieted down. And then in recent weeks, Garland and Besser. Every public indication, every private indication was that it was going to take a ton for them to even consider doing that and that they were more than willing to put that out there. Yeah. But that they weren't in a rush. And you look at the contracts, and I know that there's maybe some question marks about the Besser qualifying offer and what that means for the offseason, all of that kind of stuff. I just don't see how it would serve them to make a move and put themselves out there in a position where they had to pull the trigger on one of those players. Yeah. And when we hear the reports after the deadline, look, they tried to move Pearson. They tried to move Myers. It didn't take. That makes so much more sense than they didn't move Garland. They didn't move Miller. They didn't move Besser. This team is lacking direction. Those are two very different things. I'm still waiting for this new management group to put their stamp on the roster. I don't think we've seen that yet. Maybe we've seen them just go out and execute the plan that they essentially told us they were going to do. They want to open up some cap space, create a cap cushion so that they can do some other things. They are going to have to take bets on some players and hope that some of them hit. Travis Dermott is kind of the first bet that they're taking, right? It's an inexpensive one. Uh, It didn't really cost them an asset. It ends up saving them a million and a half on the salary cap, given the player that went out to make room for Dermott on this team. So there's a lot there that you kind of like. It's essentially we're taking a free look at this player that we think highly of. Is Travis Dermott going to end up being a guy that fits next to Quinn Hughes or Oliver ekman Larson? In that type of a role, I don't know. Do we get a chance to see that at some point through the end of the season? Probably. I, I hope ho- so. I yeah. would hope so. I know I know it didn't start that way today at, at practice. He was still playing with Brad Hunt on that third pair. But I, I would hope so for a guy that says he likes to play the right side, even though he is a left shot. Mm-hmm. Give that a chance, especially with the way that he moves. It might help, especially Oliver ekman Larson uh, with the way that he's moving of late. So... Uh, I like a lot of what was done, but I'm still waiting for this management group to really put their stamp on the team. And I think that is my takeaway from yesterday. I also think about 
you know, and I know this was one of the prevailing thoughts, like, oh, are they going to be allowed to to trade Tyler Mott while they're still kind of hanging <laughs> in the playoff race? And even though Patrick Alvin had said all along, you know, we if we're able to move our unrestricted free agents, we're not in a position to to keep those guys. They wanted to move Halak. Obviously, they didn't have a taker for him with the way that he was playing. Yep. But I don't think they got any worse. You know, yeah, they traded Mott and Hamannick. Did they get any worse? Like, they bring in Brad Richardson to fill that void. Of course, he's, like, long in the tooth, 37 <laughs> years old, but he can still play. Um, and Dermott might actually be an upgrade over Hamannick, right? So... I don't think like they didn't get any worse yesterday. So this idea that they uh, sold off isn't really um, or that they punted on the rest of the season also doesn't truly apply to what we're seeing here uh, with the Vancouver Canucks. I guess people were just waiting or are waiting to see that major move. And it could be one of two. And I, I think the one that we'll spend more time yep. discussing is the guys that are going to play in, you know, top six guys. What's the Besser situation? What's the Garland situation? How does the Miller contract situation end up playing out? And then what's the future of Bo Horvat? And then when you hear the names like Myers in Pearson, that puts into play a different kind of conversation about what this management group could be. And it's one that we never saw from the prior management group, which was some creative trades and, and how they're going to account for the cap and their financials. It would have been fascinating to see some sort of Tyler Myers move with maybe some retention or maybe a third team involved, all of that kind of stuff. I don't uh, I don't presume that the deadline made that something that was yeah. easy to do. The offseason... There's that potential there, and that will also be the kind of move that if there are people out there who feel like they need to see something from this management group, and there was a lot of that yesterday, Reach. I was a little surprised. There were a lot of people really disappointed or upset with the Patrick Alvin comments. Uh, they didn't feel like he said much. They didn't feel like the team did nearly enough or that the team you know, telegraphed moves that they didn't end up making. I felt as I think you did, that it played out pretty close to what we expected. But if they are able to make the kind of move with someone like Myers or Pearson yep. that's a little bit creative, that should, and I say should because you never know in this market, but that should buy them a little bit of trust and respect from the people out there that aren't willing to go there with them yet. And I get that, like, I get why people aren't jumping right on board immediately there needs to be a little give and take and I think we're getting that right now but I'm definitely a little bit more on the side of you know what I'm let's give them some time Let, yeah let's see what let's see what they can do over the next few months Ramon on uh, the Dunbar Lumber text line 650 650 Jim betting PTSD is real <laughs> that's exactly it right yeah it's funny though because uh, people are critiquing Patrick Alvine and his comments and we had him on the show yesterday I don't get it. He doesn't say much. Do you want your general manager to say too much? People would criticize Jim Benning for uh, maybe being too open with things he wanted to do and end up losing leverage on 
situations because he was open about wanting to move X player or B player or whatever it may have been. They didn't like that Jim Benning had a difficulty in really outlaying his plan of where he wanted things to go and how he wanted uh, or how he would outlay it for the fan base Mm -hmm. to see. Now you have a, a guy and a president that are more than willing to be transparent about that. They've told you exactly what they wanted to do, and they've started to go about doing it. I guess the question still remains, because nothing significant happened yesterday with the Vancouver Canucks. Do they want to give this core a longer look? You know, have they gotten to a point where if they can move money around the main group of players, you're not moving OEL, so you can throw that out the window, but Hughes, mm-hmm. Pedersen, Demko, and then the other forwards, yep. Miller, Horvat, Besser, Garland, the main ones, the expensive players, have those guys earned a longer look or are they still a part of what the change will eventually be and what the stamp of the new front office could be have they earned more of a look since the team has played quite a bit better in the Boudreaux era and certainly since this new front office took over it's I think a really interesting question because there are I think with each individual you can point to some some positives. And let, let's start with Garland. Because Garland, to me, is the one where there's the biggest disconnect between everything that we're hearing about what this regime wants and how his style of play fits into that with what we're seeing on the ice, which I would say, for the better part of this season, has been pretty positive. Yeah. He's a guy that often has the puck on his stick, is making thing, things happen. Now you could say... He's got the puck on his stick. He makes things happen, and this team's still not very good. Like, you you need yeah. – if, if the guys that are going to be in that position uh, to execute at that level, uh, they, they need to produce a little bit more. And I think that's that's reasonable. But to me, that's like, okay, that's a guy, and he's signed now to a decent enough ticket yeah. long term. What – like – if there's that decision made there, I, like, I don't think that he can show anything with his game yeah. over the rest of this season that's going to change the way that the conversation around him, at least the whispers and what we might hear about what this management group wants out of those positions, yeah. uh, will will change the dynamic. Is Garland too much of a perimeter player? I, everything you hear is he's a little bit too east-west too, right? Yeah. Like it's he. he I think that's shifty. The question on Garland, but he's not fast. Yeah, but at the same time, it like okay, we're, we're pointing out all these things that are uh, kind of flaws. Is he a perimeter player? Uh, he can do a lot with the puck, but you know he'll end up twisting and turning in the corner for. 20 seconds, but nothing ends up happening. Spins. Right? It's just like, it was fun. It was cool. Like, uh, I kind of got tired watching it, but did did anything actually happen? Did you do some good other than uh, creating some offense? Yeah, it's like you're a soccer guy. It's stepovers. You know, a lot of guys can do some stepovers, but are you you actually going to attack with the ball? Yes. In Garland's case, are you actually going to try to make a play? We've seen some playmaking instincts, but he's certainly not like a straight-up playmaker. And then at the same time, you look at some of the raw production numbers or the deeper production values, points per 60. He leads the team at five on five. So, 
you know, there are indicators there that maybe if you gave him uh, some more of a leash that there would be an uptick in production uh, from a raw standpoint on the on the stat sheet with the goals and the assists. But I think that's kind of one of the questions that management is trying to figure out with Garland and maybe why they haven't been, you know, just throwing down the phone anytime somebody is asked about him. Uh, it's just, you know, do they, they, they wonder like, how would this guy look on a playoff team? You know, what would it, what would his game look like in a playoff game? Yep. Uh, I wonder if they learned anything from the conversations that they had with, let's say, just pick a team at random, the Boston Bruins, where if Boston is going, we're interested in this guy and the Canucks are trying to figure out, okay, well, what would he look like in Boston? Because he is the kind of player that if you have your first two lines are settled, and you've got a strong D, and you've got you you know you're you're happy with your goaltending situation. You add a player like Connor Garland to the mix, okay? There's there's something there. The Canucks are not at that point where they they are asking much tougher questions about where these players are going to end up, who they might play with. Like we're sitting here. I did the show with Sat yeah. three weeks ago, and we spent a lot of that show discussing the duos that we'd like to see. Like that is far from decided with this yeah. group, and that's not essential to building the team. Like the Canucks should not be targeting or retaining certain players because they have this idea of what they want the lineup to look like. They need to look at it from a wider lens of what kind of asset is this? What kind of value are we getting? But that's a question like they need to, who is going to play on a line together and that those lines are going to be productive and those lines are going to help them win games and be a contender. We don't have any of those answers right now. No, and and I think the biggest thing about this deadline was for this management group is to start laying that groundwork of what some of those bigger pieces are worth on the trade market, but also to start to decide if, okay, we like this player, but can that money be more efficiently spent? I think that is a big part mm-hmm. of uh, of what they've been trying to do over the last little while as uh, we still have some of that fallout from the deadline. Of course, uh, still significant change likely to come over the course of the summer. Now, you know, I guess when, when you think about where this team is headed, this uh, road trip does... Set a roadmap that is uh, very difficult because they need points, Is he? He can't lose to the Buffalo Sabres and the Detroit Red Wings and be like, uh, where are we making those points up against now? Uh, well, you got to do it against Colorado or maybe Minnesota or uh, Dallas. Definitely got to win that Dallas game. And then they go to St. Louis to wrap up this road trip through the Central Division. It's kind of massive. Now, I kind of declared the Canucks basically as a flatlining team in the playoff (laughs) conversation last Friday after the loss to Detroit. They obviously did nothing to change that over the weekend with the two losses to Calgary and Buffalo. But am I overselling it or are these playoff hopes basically done? I've been there for a while. Yeah. And I know we're, we're here, we're, we're doing it every day, and when they have a little spike and you look at the standings, 
you can talk yourself into it. Oh, you know, just four points and Vegas is sliding and you never know if Edmonton's going to have the goaltending and do we really think that the teams ahead of them in the, in the division are, are going to keep it up, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just, it's really tough to see. And then yeah. when you look at, you look at this coming road trip. Going back to Colorado, which mm-hmm. uh, you may recall earlier this year, the Canucks played a game in Denver that did not go their way, did uh, not go very well. It was kind of ugly. Yeah, <laughs> it was a tough it? one. Uh, and then that back-to-back with the mm-hmm. Minnesota team that you'd imagine is incredibly energized <laughs> by getting Marc-Andre Fleury yeah. and uh, making that commitment, right? Like the Wild have been, and I know it's a new management group and certainly a new coaching staff, but like they've been a team for the better part of the decade where they've been kind of fringe playoff team. They usually get in. They don't generally get out of the first round, but they're there. But th- there's some feelings around the Western Conference that outside of Colorado and probably Calgary, they're right there with just about everybody else. Yeah, still hard to break down, still a great decor. And they now they've got a, as good an offensive superstar as they've had since Marion Gabrick. Yep. Does that not sound familiar to Canucks fans, <laughs> right, uh, with the old 4 team and those 4 playoffs? It's kind of what the Wild are, you know, really strong defensively. Outside of Kaprizov, they don't have anybody in their forward group that really wows you. I mean, Ryan Hartman's their one, number one center. I know he's got like 25, 26 goals 26 goals now, yeah. But, um, you know, not exactly a team that really jumps off the page. I saw that paper. last night and it, it stunned me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I thought that was maybe well, I was watching deadline the, hangover. Yeah. I was going, wait, what? Who's, he has 26 goals this year. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, he scored the empty netter against Vegas the other night. And I was like, they're like, that's 26 goal for Ryan Hartman. It's like, Oh, <laughs> Ryan Hartman, like the same guy uh, that's been bouncing around a little bit from Nashville and elsewhere. But you know, they've, they've really, found some guys that have worked well in their system. And this is going to be an incredibly difficult road trip. And one that I think you have to imagine the Canucks need to win three of four, which is kind of crazy, but that's just how slim their playoff hopes are. I do wonder from a defensive standpoint how Dermott helps. Now, I know I'm probably making too much of a third-pair D-man, Izzy, but... Not in this market. Not with this team. (laughs) But uh, Travis Dermott does one thing really well, skate. And that's something that this D-group, outside of Hughes and maybe Myers to a certain extent, do really well. And I wonder how that helps this team. I wonder how it helps them against faster teams like Colorado and others, if it helps them. And the biggest thing is, uh, are they able to transition the puck better? Now, his decision-making has been what's let him down. He had the big giveaway in uh, Game 7 last year against Montreal that uh, you know raised uh, Leaf fans some memories of Jake Gardner, but that's going to be the thing with Dermott is can he avoid the big mistake? But I think he's going to help the Canucks actually perform better against speedy teams who we've seen really cause them a lot of trouble. He's a modern D-man, yeah. and there's the question still out there about what 
the upside is and what's he actually going to be able to be on the ice to produce and is there like I, I don't think that it's been a ton outside of those kind of as you said Jake Gardner-esque mistakes that really stand out where he's not playing or he hasn't gained a bigger role or didn't gain a bigger role in Toronto because he was on the the wrong end of getting caved in it was more so hey this guy can do a lot of things but the production's not really there you know we're not we're not getting that boost we're not seeing what happens when Quinn Hughes goes out on the ice and while not being a physical marvel by any stretch is an incredible skater and things happen for the Canucks when he's out there and by and large those are good things that's just not something that I, I think happened for Travis Dermott in Toronto, yeah. which is why he was available. But could it? I mean, he's got the skill set. It's not like he's been lacking in that area. We've seen how many call-up D-men have we seen the last couple of years? Maybe less this year because yeah. they had a little more depth, but certainly last year and maybe even a little bit the year before where guys come up from the AHL and they're players that we know that have been talked about as recall options. Breezeba, Sautner. Chatfield, right? And it's just like, okay, they can be third-pairing guys if your team's okay. Not the solution. Dermott is in a higher class than that for sure. Uh, We'll see. He'll uh, be in the lineup tomorrow for the Vancouver Canucks against the Colorado Avalanche. Coming up, David Pinota is going to join us. And um, something uh, that Bruce Boudreau said that stuck out to me today when he was with uh, the media. We'll talk about that next on Canuck Central. It is Canuck Central. We are presented by your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Dan Riccio and Israel Fair. He's in for Satyar Shah who's uh, flown out to the Big Smoke to join Murph on the Canucks broadcasts over the next couple of days as they are in Colorado and Minnesota. So uh, Bruce Boudreaux today. You know, Izzy, we've talked a lot about trades. We've uh, joked about it. We've obviously heard that uh, it, it's, you know, it affects this play- the players this time of year that they continuously hear this type of trade talk. Uh, Bruce Boudreaux was asked today if uh, there's a bit of relief around the room that the uh, deadline has passed. Here it is. I have to believe when you're here for three and a half months and then last week seemed an an aberration of the first three and a half months that there was something bothering the group as a whole and uh, hopefully we can get over that and and go at it today because this is the team we've got. There is um, Bruce Boudreaux uh, on this and on trade discussions possibly affecting players in the room. I get it. I do. You're human. It's not easy to hear, oh, Besser is uh, being traded to New Jersey or Garland might be traded to the L.A. Kings and... Miller's going to the New York Rangers and talks are heating up on this and all of that. I don't know, Izzy. I, I don't I don't have a ton of sympathy for the whole <laughs> uh it's really affected players and it's affected the way that they've played. I mean, 
You've got to be professional about it. You're a professional hockey player. You may get traded. That is part of your and job. You, you're a professional hockey player who plays for a team that is not if, very good. If we're being nice on the playoff cusp, right? Like, yeah, it's not like. Look, I, I I can feel for guys that are possibly getting moved from contenders. Yeah, or guys that have really been the Claude Giroux situation, for instance, who had been in that market and been the captain of that team for so long and the team sort of cratered around him and that's an individual who was going through um that those emotions i think that come with that if you're the canucks and this is look we've stopped talking about the bubble (laughs) as this thing of like well maybe this is what this group can be like that that conversation is over and those conversations about uh what what's out there for these guys in trade is is going to happen because ultimately yeah. Whether it's us, whether it's this management group, we're talking about what can this team uh, do to get better. Uh, I understand, you know, it's it can be a big thing. You know, you're up even your life getting traded across the country midseason, whatever, you know. But when you're getting paid $6 million a year or whatever it may be, kind of falls on deaf ears to a lot of fans. And at the same time, you still got to find a way to maintain your professionalism. And if that factored into the Canucks, pooching the rest of that road trip or that homestand, I should say, where they lost three games, two or three, being against Buffalo and Detroit, it's not a good look. Um, and this team now has uh, a major, major uh, hole to climb out of after those losses on the homestand. Let's bring in our next guest. It is uh, David Pagnotta, uh, who is, uh, I- I'm guessing, um, loaded up on the espresso a day after the trade deadline pegs. Oh, it's in my bloodstream. It's, uh, <laughs> I need like four more days for it to come out. It's the, man, the the seventy-two hour stretch from whatever it was Friday to, yeah. to the deadline, or I guess technically still going. But uh, whoo, man, you're not expected. Your tweets per sixty were uh, were pretty high. I gotta say. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine, uh, but uh, take take listeners behind the curtain a little bit. Like, what's what is the weekend? What is trade deadline day like for you? Just constantly on the phone, on your computer. How many uh, extra batteries are you running through as as the day goes on? Yeah, uh, the cell phone's pretty much plugged in. Um, the, yeah, the, the, the iPad's plugged in. Everything, uh, laptops fully charged, and, and everything. Um, you know, leading up to it. Uh, you, you're you basically you're trying to contact everybody, get in touch with everybody, try to get a sense of of what's happening with you know some of the teams or all of the teams that are out there. Um, and you, know, you hear one thing from one person, you reach out to another team, you try to validate that information, and and kind of go from there. It's it's a constant swoop of making sure that what you're being told by one person about another team is accurate from that team or from some of the other teams out there. Sometimes, you know, team X will lie about what they're doing, <laughs> but they're telling the truth to teams A, B, and C. So if A, B, and C are all saying the exact same thing, uh, you, you try to connect the dots and figure that all out. And then try to get all the information, try to talk to agents, players, uh, you know, management staff, scouts, everything, trying to trying to siphon out the, uh, the info as much as you can. And then deadline day, I, um, I do stuff with NHL Network as well, so it's a combination of trying to get that done while also being in front of a camera for 
you know, like five straight hours. And then when you get something, you go on, you do it, and then you continue to try to get information as in the middle of trying to explain what's happening. It's fun. You mentioned Flash. those those conversations, uh, Pags. Yeah. That was there a team yesterday that uh, you were hearing from other teams as as a standout that 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 was you know getting a lot of chatter outside of of the direct conversations with said team. Yeah, yeah, there were a few. Like um, you know, New York for a good stretch was telling everybody, <laughs> man, they're not really in on much, and then they get three guys that uh, end up really really solidifying the depth on that club and, and, and adding some, some grittiness with Mott, obviously, and with um, Andrew Kopp and, and Justin Braun. Uh, so they were telling people that, yeah, we're just kind of floating around seeing what's out there, and then we're hearing from everybody else. Well, hold on. Don't you like this guy? And you're not going after that guy because you like this guy? And, so, and at the same time, trying to make it relatively ambiguous so you don't burn the person that told you that. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of juggling, uh, but the Rangers were one of those clubs. Uh, Montreal was another that just seemed like they started to get a lot of attention on a few of their guys and outside of Lekkinen and, and Kulak, um, it, they were obviously Jeff Petrie, uh, Jake Allen was getting some, some discussion still going into and throughout Monday. Um, there were teams that were circling in on Christian Dvorak and, and Mike Hoffman and, those kinds of usual suspects. Um, and, and again, just trying to make sure that that information is right. And I, it was funny because once the deal started to, I guess other teams started to be aware of the Lekkinen return and the Kulak return, uh, some teams that were going after some of their guys were going, mm, okay, maybe we'll wait a little bit because some of these prices are a little, <laughs> little out there. So we're going to, we're going to hold back. Maybe we'll wait on certain things. And then of course, Jacob Chikrin and what was going on in Arizona, um, a lot of teams that were trying to get something done at the last minute, but based on some of the prices that were paid for some of the, the players that were out there that ended up getting moved before yesterday's deadline, like on Saturday and Sunday, uh, the, the, the price tag shifted a little bit. Um, and they were asking for a little bit more in terms of overall quality. And that put a lot of teams on their heels saying, eh, maybe we'll reconvene in the summer which is what I anticipate at this point. Yeah, the uh, the prices did get kind of uh, high at different points, and then, you know, I think a lot of Canucks fans were kind of surprised. Tyler Mott only ended up uh, leaving for uh, a fourth-round pick to the New York Rangers, but uh, c'est la vie. The, the Canucks always end up with the uh, short end of the stick, but uh, maybe Tyler Mott's just not as valued elsewhere as he was uh, here in Vancouver. He'll get the big stage now on Broadway. Uh, do, do you think the Canucks, do you think Patrick Alvine was, was close to doing more at any point uh, during this deadline season? It, it sounded like there was definitely a lot of traction with respect to Connor Garland. Uh, even yesterday morning, uh, there was, there was a belief that that might be a possibility, um, a realistic possibility. Um, so I was kind of trying to Dig and I mean that that was one of the guys. Quite frankly, I'll be honest with you, with with us um, both at the fourth period and also at NHL Network, trying to figure out exactly how uh, this may happen, and and you know whether it was myself, Dennis Bernstein, or Rafan Gafar on TFP side, or some of the guys on the NHL Network side as well, um, just trying to team up a little bit to figure out exactly what may be happening. It certainly sounded like things were 
uh, progressing, but obviously they, they didn't get there. And, and when things started to trail off, to be perfectly honest, I'm not quite sure at that point when that started to occur. Uh, but obviously he's still a member of the Canucks, but I fully expect those conversations to reconvene uh, at some point this offseason, likelihood around the draft, but we'll obviously see. You probably won't be surprised to hear that uh, what the Canucks did or didn't do caused quite a stir in the market, and there were a number of people uh, criticizing uh, Patrick Alvine and his press conference and and his comments post-deadline. What I find interesting, and I think this is something that Canucks fans are trying to get a grasp on, is what kind of team does this management group want to build? Like, what what's their plan? What what sense were you getting, whether it was some of those conversations about Garland or some of the other moves that might have been out there, that this management group would like to accomplish with this Canucks team in the short term? Yes, I know it sucks playing the waiting game and, and being patient. Um, and I know a lot of people are not good at that. Um, I am definitely not in certain circumstances in life, but uh, there was really, I mean, they were in a position where they really didn't have to do anything in terms of making those big, bold moves to re- reconstruct part of this roster. I mean, yes, they were out there looking for a young defenseman to bring in. That was clear. There wasn't really much of a secret, um, you know, outside of the actual defensemen themselves, whether it was John Marino that was out there uh, or some of the kids on, on L.A., um, some of those names started to get out and, and float around. Uh, but they were looking at a variety of different options to see how they might be able to, to, to make that work. And a lot of it, and, and also around trade deadline, a lot of footwork happens that they go back to in the summer. You get some conversations that happen around this time. You say, okay, well, look, the deadline's here. We've got a decent framework. I mean, we can't really do anything at this point. There's really no point. So why don't we just wait? things out and and we'll figure it out when the season ends and then you slowly reconvene there and then obviously at the the draft table or right before it or right after those kinds of conversations pick up steam and even then sometimes it gets pushed until free agency doors open as teams look at other options that may not obviously cost them assets other than hard cash uh so you know yeah they, they were certainly looking um it definitely sounded like the garland portion of, of that might have brought back a defenseman, or at least that's what they wanted. Um, but, I mean, they were exploring a variety of different options. The fact that they weren't able to do that uh, or make one of those big impact, impact excuse me, type moves ahead of the deadline, it, it didn't really seem, to me anyway, that they were overly bothered by that. They've got their plan in place. They know it's going to take more than the deadline to properly reconstruct the roster. So they're going to take their time in doing it because they want to make sure that they do the right moves not just a move just to keep everybody out there happy. When they make their moves, they hope that that will be enough to make everybody happy. It's uh, David Pinota of the fourth period joining us here on Canucks Central. So um, explain the D- Evgeny Dadanov situation. Oh, no. <laughs> this is like oh, a math okay, wait, question, wait, wait. First, first off, um, <laughs> How many players in the league with a no-trade list have Anaheim on their no-trade list? Now, that's a good question. I feel like Dadanov is, is in the minority here. This, this is certainly, yes, a good question. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure of too many. Uh, that maybe he's got something against Newport Beach. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, who's, maybe, who's against he, Sunshine There's and too many Sands. nice places to live down here. <laughs> 
Yeah, maybe he hates, you know, Disney World or Land or whichever one it is. Um, I, I don't know, <laughs> but uh, he clearly didn't want to be there. Yeah. And um, they genuinely didn't know that. Uh, how they didn't know, uh, for the life of me, I, I, I can't put that together. I can't figure that out. When I, I heard of this trade uh, about 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock Eastern, something around, around that, that time. So about three to four hours before the deadline. This trade was agreed upon well in advance of the actual deadline. Um, knew it was Anaheim. The, the people, players on the team knew that this was happening uh, because obviously, you know, John Moore was getting shipped out after coming in and Kessler's contract was going. There were people talking within the Ducks organization about this trade about roughly three to four hours before uh, the deadline hit and about what appeared to be, I think it was after six Eastern. So a good six, seven hours before it it became public, or at least the league somehow approved it. Uh, So within that time period, nobody checked. Um, I can tell you when they informed Dadanov, he was going, ha ha, funny joke. Uh, No, seriously, (laughs) this is impossible. Like this, this is, this is just not happening. Uh, and then things got really weird because, I mean, he was with the team in Minnesota. He was in the locker room steaming a little bit and then trying to figure out exactly, you know, what the heck was going on. Uh, and then, you know, kind of all hell broke loose. And it's still not uh, not done yet. I mean, it, it's pretty clear cut to me. The, the, the contract was filed at the right date. And the only question I had at the time, and I, I got the answer for it, was because – you know, the critical dates calendar has shifted because of the postponements and COVID and all that fun stuff. Right. So the first, the first day of this season, the 21-22 season, is or was July 28th, 2021. He was traded on that day right. to, to Vegas. Um, he had to submit his no-trade list by July 1, so the third June 30th, and he did. Everything got sliced over. The only thing that didn't, as part of the critical dates calendar and everybody's contracts that slid over, was the bonuses. Everybody's bonus was still paid on paid out on July first. If that's when the due date is, most guys ninety percent. That's when it's due. So everything was kosher for him. He assumed that that was pushed aside. And yes, Ottawa didn't disclose it as part of the trade, but we have a no trade list, a full list of everybody in the league on the fourth period. You can go to. Puckpedia, you can go to Cap Friendly, you can go anywhere else. We've got this info. How they didn't have that, I just, I don't know. Um, so they're trying to figure out exactly how the wires got crossed, who's the one responsible, and then they'll figure it out. Uh, I mean, again, it, it seems clear-cut to me that this will be void uh, at some point, and then Vegas has to figure out how the heck they're going to move on from here because they are in cap trouble uh, if they want Mark Stone to be playing soon. Deadline day, obviously not a fun one for Evgeny Dadanov. Uh, the next no. few days might not be a ton of fun for Vegas, but when you look back at yesterday, Pegs, who stands mm-hmm. out as have having, had had the best day? Uh, could be player, could be a general manager. Who do you look at as going, you know what, they, they had a real good day on Monday? There were a few for a variety of, of, of different reasons. I really like what the Montreal Canadiens were able to do. I mean, yeah, they were getting, you know, they could have done a little bit more, and I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that they weren't able to finalize something with Jeff Petrie because it sounded like they were getting there as they got in, as 
the, the days kind of rolled in and they got into the deadline day, but they didn't. But the returns for Lekkonen and Kulak were fantastic. I mean, those were, those were excellent returns. I don't know what the heck Edmonton was doing, giving up a second-round pick for uh, Brett Kulak, but kudos to Kent Hughes for allowing that to happen uh, and negotiating that one along with – I think they got another pick out of that too, a seventh. Anyway, uh, I like the, the return there. I like what they were able to, to do. Um, I like what the Rangers in Colorado both did. Uh, I like, even though I like the return for Lekkonen, I think he's a heck of a player, especially, you know, come, come playoff time. He's not the gritty type of guy, but he's a strong two-way guy. He's got solid offensive skills. He skates well. He's very responsible in his own zone. And that, to complement what they did previously by bringing in Josh Manson and some of the other additions that they were able to make, bringing in Andrew Cogliano uh, as well, I like what Colorado was able to do to really deepen themselves and, and strengthen themselves going into the playoffs and vice versa in the East. I like what the Rangers were able to do by bringing in Mott and Andrew Kopp and Justin Braun. They were, you know, they were in on some, some other big things like Jacob Chikrin and a few others, but they, they, they can wait. No rush to obviously for them to do this kind of stuff now. But um, the fact that they were able to add those particular pieces, I liked. And then I, I also liked some sneaky little additions, Ricard Raquel in Pittsburgh sure. um, and Nick Letty with St. Louis. I, I think that's an underrated addition for them. The only problem uh, with with the Rangers, like Gerard Gallant's going to have a real tough time figuring out his fourth line. You know, he's <laughs> got a lot of depth guys now. Well, he, he does. I mean, Cop, you could you look Vitrano. They brought in previously as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, these are guys that sub in for um, some of the younger guys that are a little less experienced. So you get in there, and Cop has some offense, uh, a little more offense to his game. Uh, I, I mean, again, I like I like those. Those additions, I don't think it'll put them over the top in the East, uh, but nevertheless, I think those were some pretty solid ones. And if they do end up playing Pittsburgh in the first round, that's going to be a hell of a matchup. Uh, should be a good one. Uh, Pags, we appreciate the time as always. Uh, the 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 th- hundreds of uh, David Pinota burner accounts certainly uh, were winners <laughs> yeah. on dead- deadline weekend. I don't know what the heck was going on there. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I I like I had a player. I actually had a player, it's a true story, message me and say, why didn't you tell me I was traded? <laughs> I swear to you. And I said, what the hell are you talking about? And he, and he sent me the screenshot. I'm going, buddy, that's not me. Yeah. Um, yeah, true story. Uh, I don't know what the hell was going on with all that stuff, but uh, people are having their fun and I don't know. Sorry, I guess. It's, <laughs> it's at the fourth period. Make sure you, you check it before uh, seeing the many, many fakes uh, out there. Right. Uh, Pags, always appreciate the time, man. We'll talk soon. You got it. See you, boys. Thanks, Pags. Uh, there he is, David Pinota of the fourth period. Do you think we can find a way to blame Earth for uh, some We of can those, always blame Earth. For some of those burners, <laughs> at least a handful of them. Uh, it's, it is funny. Um, you know, I didn't get duped this year, but I, I usually do. Like at some point, I will mistakenly retweet something that is fake. Um, it's happened in the past. I'm sure it'll happen again, but uh, hopefully, not too uh, not too often. So, uh, Evgeny Dadanov, uh, we're going to talk about this in the the next hour, but. Um, it's going to be a question of, and I want you to 
get in on it too. 650, 650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. If you were to have a 10-team no-trade list, who would be on that list? Um, we'll, we'll discuss that coming up in the next hour of the show. But we do have uh, a big hour coming as we'll talk about uh, Colorado and Minnesota, the two upcoming opponents for the Vancouver Canucks, um, who right now need wins, need dubs, and we'll see how they are able to manage this big-time road trip. I'll say this about the New York Rangers, where Tyler Mott is headed. I hope Tyler Mott, you know, I think they're going to love him on Broadway. Um, Kind of player, yeah, absolutely. Like every hockey fan can appreciate, right? He's going to block a lot of shots. He's feisty. All of – never never shortchanges you on effort, Tyler Mott. But um, I I don't get the Rangers, man. Like now Justin Braun is kicking Braden Schneider out of their lineup. But they didn't want to move Braden Schneider to potentially <laughs> upgrade their top six, where I think they really, you know, needed some help beyond their first line. Uh, that the Rangers deadline is is one of the ones from a buyer's perspective that really baffled me because they just they ended up with a bunch of grinders and really uh, beefed up the depth or the bottom of their lineup more than anything else. When normally a deadline you want to Try and get better at the top of your lineup if you can. That was the theme of their offseason too, right? And we knew yeah. that. And I, what baffled me the most, Reach, about their deadline, and I saw this on Twitter, so this is not confirmed, but it did come from Rangers media, from a Rangers reporter, that Chris Drury's media availability yesterday was the first time that he talked to the media this season. You yeah. How often we would hear people flustered maybe ourselves be flustered that the Canucks management wasn't talking enough Chris Drury who yeah. had we haven't heard from betting in 36 and a half days <laughs> oh it was there were countdown clocks and apparently yes. Chris Drury just has you know the surprise team everyone's talking about how his goalie's gonna win the heart trophy yesterday all of a sudden nah I'm I, I just don't in, in New York of all yeah. places you think there'd be I found a little that bit more surprising, of an but yeah. maybe that's because so he doesn't want to answer the question that you just asked. <laughs> hey, yeah. why do you, why do you have two bottom sixes? And uh, you know, <laughs> yes, you have some good high end players, but you've also got two bottom sixes. They've they've got Zibanejad, uh, Lafreniere's finally coming around. Of course, Panarin, but then what? Ryan Strom, Chris Kreider, uh, who's having an unbelievable year. But uh, I I really did think that they could use another uh, top six player. But they didn't want to pay the price for JT Miller or anybody else. Uh, all right. Coming up, uh, we will get to the Colorado Avalanche and the Minnesota Wilds as the Canucks embark on a uh, pretty difficult four-game roadie trying to get their uh, playoff hopes a little bit back on track. That's next on Canucks Central.